You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Skylight Books Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie, and today we are so excited to welcome Irene Sola to talk about her new novel, When I Sing Mountains Dance, and she'll be in conversation with Mara Faye Latham, who translated the book from the Catalan. Irene Sola is a Catalan writer and artist, winner of the Documenta Prize for First Novels, the Libra Sanagrama Prize, the European Union Prize for Literature, and the Amadou Oler Poetry Prize. Her artwork has been exhibited in the Whitechapel Gallery. Mara Faye Latham is an award-winning translator and author of the novel A Person's a Person, No Matter How Small. Her recent translations include books by Patricio Prone, Max Basora, Javier Calvo, Marta Oroyles, Tony Sala, and Alicia Kopp. Thank you both so much for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thank Thanks you. for having us, Natalie. I enjoyed this book so much. It was such a fun read and such a, um, like, it felt like a palate cleanser for life, almost. It kind of, like, stripped away all the crazy things that were happening, um, especially living in a city, to taking a little excursion to the mountains. Um, and I am so excited to hear more about the process of writing it and translating it. And I was hoping that we could start uh, with a little reading of something. Um, Irene could maybe read for us in the Catalan, and then we could have Mara read some English for us as well. Sure, yeah. I'll, I'll read a, a little fragment from um, the chapter named La poesia ho té tot. La poesia té la bellesa, té la puresa, té la música, té les imatges, té la paraula dita, té la llibertat i té la capacitat de commoure i de deixar-te entreveure l'infinit. El més enllà. L'infinit que no és a la terra ni és al cel. L'infinit dins de cadascú, com una finestra dalt de tot del cap, que ni sabíem que hi era, i que la veu del poeta obre una mica a mica i allà dalt per aquella escletxa hi ha l'infinit. Aquest poema el vaig compondre per la meva germana Mia, perquè un dia no ens vam tornar a veure més. Poema per a la mia. Seré l'adop del teu hort, la tomaquera, el talladits, l'escarola, les males herbes. El meu cor, mia, és una pedra. Em desfaré a poc a poc com la mantega, rascleta en mà, em batràs amb la terra. El meu cor, mia, és una pedra. Un roc rodó com un anyor, un puny petit com un amor, que no es mulla, que no es trenca, el meu cor. El meu cor, mia, és una pedra. La casa, la mare, les dones i els homes, el cotxe, la bossa, la tele, els diumenges, rellisquen com un riu sobre la meva esquena. El meu cor, mia, és una pedra. Però tinc un pes al pit, el record d'una pedrera, pena dura, poema trist, germana de la teva, el meu cor, mia, és una pedra. És un dels poemes dels que estic més orgullós, aquest últim. No és un poema trist, que ningú s'equivoqui, és un poema melancòlic perquè a vegades la bellesa deixa sense aire. Jo no en sento gaires de tristors ni de melancolies, però la tristesa, la melangia, com la bellesa, són importants per la poesia. Thank you so much, Irene. That was beautiful. Poetry has it all. 
Poetry has beauty, it has purity, it has music, it has images, it has words recited out loud. It's got freedom and the ability to move you, to let you glimpse the infinite, the great beyond. Infinity isn't on earth and it isn't in heaven. The infinite dwells in each of us, like a window on the top of our heads that we didn't even know was there and that the poet's voice opens up little by little and up there through that crack is the infinite. I composed this poem for my sister Mia because one day we never saw each other again. Poem for Mia. I will be the fertilizer in your garden, the tomato plant, the earwig, the endive, the ornery weeds. My heart, Mia, it is a stone. I will dissolve it slowly like butter. With a handrake, you will comb me into the earth. My heart, Mia, is a stone. A smooth stone like a longing, a small fist like love dawning, that doesn't dampen, that doesn't break. My heart, Mia, it is a stone. The house, women and men, our mother, the car, the dog, the TV, Sundays, all of it slides like a river over my back. My heart, Mia, it is a stone. I have a weight on my chest, the memory of a quarry, hard grief, sad poem. Sister bonded to your own, my heart, Mia, it is a stone. That last poem is one of the ones I'm most proud of. It's not a sad poem, make no mistake, it's a melancholy poem because sometimes beauty leaves you gasping for air. I don't suffer much from sadness or melancholy, but melancholy like beauty is important for poetry. I don't usually ask people to read certain sections. I let the authors choose, but I really did have to ask for that one because it was one of my favorites. Our, our listeners won't be able to see my, my like tabs and notes here, but the only like chapter tab is for poetry <laughs> because I had to keep going back to it because it was just, it was so beautiful and I loved it so much. Um, this is, I feel it's such an interesting book and uh, I had just heard people talking about it and how wonderful and extraordinary it was and how it was something that everyone needed to read and so I said, okay, I, I'm going to read it then. And I want to talk to them about it too and see how it sort of came to be. So I was hoping that maybe Irene could start and then Mara, you could also chime in about the structure of this story. Um, because there are pieces of it that bookend, there are pieces of it that sort of come out of nowhere. Um, but also the story is fairly chronological but just in such an um, out of the ordinary way, um, which was such a joy to read and so different because things can, you know, books can be repetitive sometimes. And so <laughs> it, was, um, it was so refreshing. And I'd love to hear how you made some of those decisions. Sure. Um, I would say that, I, that the structure of this book appeared to me while writing it quite organically. Um, I have to say that the first chapter that I wrote was the first one. Um, 
the clouds. But after that one, um, nothing else like was written in order. I would say that I wrote most of the book at the same time. And somehow I, I knew from the very beginning that I, that I wanted to tell this story from as many um, perspectives, as many point of, points of view um, as possible. I wanted to go to a specific section, to a stretch of land, and I chose it to be the, the Pyrenees Mountains. And I wanted to, 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 to explain it, to tell it, to look at it from the perspectives of all those who might inhabit it, like humans who live there nowadays, but also those who might have died there, and also like animals who might live there, or mushrooms, or a like, storm approaching, or the, the, like the, the strata, the, the mountain itself, or even the, like the magical, mythological um, characters that are supposed to live on, on those mountains. And I wanted to, to do all this, or I did all this by focusing on, on telling the story of a specific family that lives in this mountain, and that, that suffers um, like two violent deaths on top of these hills. And what I did in terms of structure was I, I imagined all these voices, all these chapters, it's 18 chapters. I imagined them all like, like if the voices were building up a mountain. And I imagined the story of this family as it being a river. Um, a river that was crossing this mountain. And so in some chapters, the river, aka the story of this family, is, is huge, it's very big, it's in front of you all of the time and all you can see is this big river. But then um, in, in some other chapters, this river, um, like you cannot even see. But if you, like if you pay attention, you, can, you might be able to hear some like running water. Um, or you will see it from like a distance, or you will not see it at all and then suddenly it will appear because it was a subterranean like river and then it will disappear again. So for me, the, the, this story, the river, was like, like sewing, like, like sewing all the chapters, like linking them all. Um, because I, I, like I made the, deci the decision at, at some point that each character would only have one chapter, would only speak once. Um, so I realized that I wanted to keep two of the main characters um, and, and that to have like a very strong and love and love story um, for the end. But I had to make sure um, while writing it and, and while like um, placing each chapter in, in its place that once we would arrive at the end and meet for the first time um, or be inside of the minds of these two main characters for the first time, we had to be able to care for them we had to be able to mm -hmm. care for their story and we had to like to want them good and to love them somehow. So yeah, so this is how I constructed it all, I would say. And you you did, I like I made a note about that because I wondered as I moved through it, like, okay, I'm only meeting, this next chapter is not about that person or that thing. Th this next chapter isn't about either of those first two things either. Like, where is this going? How am I, like, who is this about? How am I supposed to, like, learn about them or hold them if I don't know anything about them? And I went in with that mindset. And then as I continued to, like, turn the pages, I was like, oh, okay, no, I'm, I fully, I need them to be okay. <laughs> like, I need them to be so okay. And, like, even the non-human characters, um, 
like there, that is what I think amazed me the most is it really, that is such an extraordinary thing that you did in the way that they, these chapters were laid out. And obviously as I'm reading it in English and the way that Mara translated it, there is such like beauty and enchantment in this language. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about that, Mara. And I don't really know how the process of like a translation works. Do you work with Irene um, and, or do you kind of like translate and then bring it back to her? I'd love to hear about how that works, especially with something so like lyrical and musical, which I think are even words that we said in our reading. Um, but that is the tone of this whole book. And I'd love to hear about that. Well, um, there's there's a different ways to to approach translations, and um, you know, obviously, you can also translate authors who are not alive or who are um, not very solicitous. Um, uh, but that wasn't the case here. It's still um, the questions are once you've gotten pretty far along, though, is when is when you can. Um, respectfully ask some questions and Irene is a, a wonderful author to work with in that way because, well, as you can see, her English is very good and she um, has very clear ideas about, uh, you know, how the images, I, I think the thing that I most went back to her about were about some of, some of the images that are just these metaphors that you're like, okay, what do I do with this? You know, you, and I, and it's a lot of times it's almost about asking permission you know, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so she, she was very helpful with that. I was just trying to find a quote because I love that river metaphor. And there's this one line in the book, which I'm gonna paraphrase now because I couldn't find it, um, which was a, a, a river that must be cold because it's hiding among the trees. Um, so yeah, I, when I first read this book, I wanted to translate it. So I. It, it took a while, but um, it, uh, here it is. <laughs> so, and it's, and it's that, just that kind of joyful narration, even though of course not, not everything that happens is joyful, but um, there's, a, there's a, a joy in the telling of it and the, and the power of stories. And I, I have no, to say, yeah. oh, sorry. I, oh, I, I was just gonna say, absolutely. There's so much joy in it. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that I think Mara did an amazing job. Like I absolutely love them, the translation. Like I'm, yeah, I think it's great. Thank you. So thank you, Mara. <laughs> oh, it, it was funny when you were reading, I don't, I don't usually read that much out loud. And then when we're promoting the book and I think, oh, I'm gonna practice reading it. I think, God, why don't I do this more often? Because it works very well actually to, to hear how it sounds and when you're reading I thought oh god mine doesn't rhyme at all does it and then I read it I thought, oh, actually it does there's a, there's a few rhymes in there okay <laughs> um but yeah it's uh it we we've had fun with it and we're we're going to be working on some other books together so um people have that to look forward to oh I'm so excited to look forward to that <laughs> um I uh, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the um, the non-human inhabitants of the mountains um, and sort of how you chose uh, who, like whose, um, 
either existence there jumped out at you and like how they came into the story. So we've got the uh, the mushrooms and we've got a roebuck and we've got a dog and some mountains. And uh, particularly there is uh, the mountains chapter was very interesting because you use actual imagery in there as well. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about why why you felt they needed imagery um, and their uh, their the words in their chapter were also very um, not aggressive but they almost seemed a little angry um, yeah. the the mountains did and I'd love to uh, because they are they are the full setting and then their chapter is also in the middle um, as well so you don't start with them even though that's kind of like where we are, but you let them tell their story a little bit after um, other people have lived out their existence on them or in them. Um, so we kind of build up and maybe you haven't like thought about the mountains as actual things up to that point. And then they come in and they're like, this is what we have to say about everything that is happening here. <laughs> um, so a little bit uh, about those choices. I would love to hear that. Sure. So after after writing that first chapter from the perspective of the storm, I realized two things. One thing was that um, it could be done, like that I could tell this story from like, above, from the perspective of a club. And the second thing was that it was big fun, like that I was having lots of fun, of fun while writing it. So I decided to somehow give myself the freedom to play around and to and to yeah, and to, to try like any voice that would come to my mind, even as a, as a, yeah, as a game somehow with myself. I, I remember when I had the idea of the mushrooms um, and I remember myself laughing alone, like on my computer, <laughs> like, oh my God, um, what's this idea? And then I tried and, and, and it worked. Um, and, and at the same time, like at the same time, while having like this much fun, I, for me, it was also very, um, important to use these non-human voices to reflect, to th think, um, to question like like some things, um, to question anthropocentrism first of all, but also to ask questions about um, about t time, about violence, about life and death. Um, for example, in in with the, uh, there is a chapter written from the perspective of a. a um, a rogue deer, and then another chapter written from the perspective of a dog. For me, these two were interesting and important because I wanted to, to describe human beings from the perspective of these animals. But these animals are very different in the sense that a rogue deer or this rogue deer, deer has never seen a human being before. So like it, it has to explain it to us um, without having the words somehow. And then the dog on, on the other side, um, has always lived surrounded by humans and, and its whole life has to do with the life of, of Mia, of one of the, of the main characters. Um, and so, so while I was like, like thinking on all these ideas and trying all these, um, all these um, voices, suddenly I realized, wait one second, Irena, um, everyone is talking in this novel, like, like everyone is like telling our, like their views of the world, um, except for the mountain and it all happens in this like mountain so I realized okay um I won I need the, like the mountains here um and then I wrote the them chapter um 
from the point of view of, of this mountain. Um, I'll explain you in a second why there are images there. But for me, this chapter was very, um, I wanted to play with this chapter too. And as you said, this is the most aggressive voice somehow. Like everyone else, all the other characters want to tell us their story. The rover deer wants to tell us about his childhood and the dog wants to tell us about like what she likes and everyone wants to explain their life except for the mountain. Like the mountain says the contrary, what the mountain asks is just let me be. Like don't wake me up because if you wake me up, you'll be in trouble. You want me sleeping just like I don't care about like or don't care or don't like let me let me sleep. That's what the mountain says. And um, in this in like in in this starting point, um, um, like I like this starting point allowed me to reflect um, on 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 boys on authorship on like on perspective, and it allowed me to 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 explore the fact that we all experience the world in very different ways, that the same place, the same time, the same moment, and we all will experience and explain it differently. And if we, um, if we take into account non-human perspectives, this is even bigger. So while writing this book, I was thinking a lot about language and about um, ways of, of like explaining things, um, about like storytelling itself, and one of the things that I realized while writing it is that not every um, exchange of information um, or knowledge it has to do with words or with language. That there are lots of things that we that we say or learn or know through like visual means, and that's why at some point I said, okay, yeah, I really want images in this novel too, and that's why the. Them in the mountain chapter, there are some images, or that's why there is a chapter written like with poetry, because it's again the same game. Like, okay, poetry is another way of explaining the same world or giving words um, to the same things. So, yeah, so that's why. And the you mentioned um, like giving all these different people different voices and people experiencing the same um, events from different perspectives. And I immediately thought of The Stranger um, because when The Stranger got there, I was like, you are interrupting life here. You, I was, <laughs> I was so like mad at him. Um, I was like, there are important things happening and you are bothering people. If the bakery is closed, it is closed. <laughs> the butcher shop is closed, it's closed. There is something going on here. And then, um, but then again, at the end of that chapter too, once he sees the, like the funeral procession that's happening, he's like, wow, this is really beautiful. I just want to sit and paint it. And, <laughs> and it was such a, um, it was such an, like an interesting uh, turn, but still at times made me feel like, okay, you're right. You are seeing it. So I can forgive you a little bit. Um, but I felt like that was an, an interesting at least I felt it was a way to have the reader feel some forgiveness um, in like give them the opportunity to through this stranger um, because there is so much forgiveness happening between the other characters throughout the book um, with all of the the loss and the grief that they are moving through. Even the non-human non characters are also grieving. Um, they're all grieving for something that they've lost. Um, and so I wanted to, I'd love to hear uh, from both of you just an, 
around because it is a very um a very like current thought and emotion and feeling grief and loss we're all experiencing it on some major levels and I'd love to hear um about how Irena the that factored into you writing this book and also like what it felt like to write grief and loss in that way and also for you Mara because we again just even translating it but then also putting it like into another language it's an interesting um idea considering that it's such a a topic that everyone understands and that's also an over overarching theme in the story itself as you've mentioned that everybody understands these things and we're coming at them from different perspectives but grief and and loss specifically really flow through this river here um for me the the the, the stranger chapter the chapter of like this man who lives in a city and then one Sunday he goes like to walk in these mountains was very important because um, it helped me reflect on how we sometimes relate to the world or relate to those places or environments that are not our everyday um, place in the sense that if we are not careful we sometimes might not connect might not understand and what is going on somewhere and we are not careful we might just pass by like tourists in the in the bad way or in the sense that we will take a picture of that place and we will take a selfie or of ourselves in like in front of that place but we will never be really and truly there um, and that's what happens to him. He has all these ideas about nature and about mountains and about how these are the most beautiful places in the world and they are purer and they are better than the cities. And he has all these preconceived ideas, um, like romanticized and bucolic ideas about like this place that he is not able to understand that those people in front of him are real people. And that, as you said, there has been a tragedy there and he like just sees it as a postcard. And that's why we as readers get angry at him because we love, I'm not gonna say what happened exactly, but we love those peoples that are involved in that tragedy. And he doesn't realize that they are real human beings. He, he just looks like, yeah, like a postcard, literally. So that was very interesting to me in this game of like trying to look at the world from very different places, because if you are not careful from where you look at the world, you might be looking at the world for, from a place like that. Um, and and these like all these perspectives were for me what what helped me the most in in talking and in writing about about grief about um, about about losing things about pain about death itself because um, I like I had this feeling that placing my voice or placing my point of view or like the voice of the novel from all these different points of views, I could talk about this in, in a deeper way. I'll, like, for example, um, in, in using the voice of the mountain, um, I, could, I could talk about time, about the fact that um, we humans only have 80 years, 70 years, 90 years to do everything we have to do, to feel everything we have to feel, to say everything we have to say. But for a mountain, 80 years is nothing. Um, or, or in terms of death, lots of the characters in this novel um, are 
what we could tell, what we could say ghosts or, or spirits. But by placing them in this other side of life, it allowed, it, it allowed me to reflect, to think on death, to even laugh at death or to um, like laugh at the circumstances that brought them there. Um, and that was very interesting because it, it allowed me to bring some light to that, but at the same time to think about war, about violence, about bondings in a very, um, um, I don't know how to say it, but in a very um, specific or, or um, yeah, like almost hurting um, way. So, so yeah, and Mara, if you want to say something else. Oh, well, I, I was looking at the book because I, you're Natalie referring to that chapter as the stranger. And I thought, well, I know there's no chapter called the stranger. And I said, what is the name of that chapter? Is and it's the called parents? the setting, yeah. the, the, the setting. setting. <clears throat> yes. Um, and I don't remember what it, what it is in Katsola anymore. Maybe you do. Which is, yeah. But there, there's an, to me, there, there is an aspect in it of like when you read, you know Grimm's fairy tales and you and you realize that you know death is always there and and sometimes in horrible ways or sometimes in sad ways but even things that are you know for children or but and our age-old stories that that is always present I mean I, I'm, a, I'm a motherless child so I I'm used to uh thinking about grief more than maybe Natalie you I know that this pandemic has kind of brought to the forefront some things that particularly in American culture are um, not so often talked about, but I, I appreciate when they are, so. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I wanted to add that, for example, in the, um, at the very, very beginning of the book, there is this character who, um, and I am not, I'm not spoiling anything if I say that there is this character who is hit by a lightning. And, um, and that happens at the very beginning. And you could think that that, that is a tragedy. Um, and it is a tragedy for the, that character and, and for his wife and for, and for his children. But um, what the book proposes somehow is this idea that one second after this lightning has hit him, um, the grass continues like growing and the grow deer continue eating and the clouds continue going away and nothing stops. And thank God somehow, because if every like if it, everything would stop, that would be like a, a tragedy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and somehow the book um, plays a lot or, or reflects a lot in this like cruel optimism of, of life. Well, the, the, the witches, they, they say that the, the, their greatest offense against God was just getting up the morning after they were hanged. Um, and so they have this uh, interesting perspective. They're, they also, they witness his being struck by lightning. Hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, that's definitely not a spoiler because it's on, uh, it's in the description. Of the on the back of the book. so definitely yeah because when I and I didn't even I didn't read the back of the book or anything I just opened up and and started I love doing that and so um yeah definitely not a spoiler but there in in terms of um 
like to kind of go back to the uh, the uh, the way we started our conversation, um, I did want to ask what both of you would think because as once I finished, there are a few like you mentioned, Irina, that uh, having these two characters be in love and understanding and rooting for them at the end was important to your structure. But what would what are your thoughts or feelings about reading some of these chapters out of order? Um, like I wondered about it once I got to the end, like there was one, you know, that one at the end, like it was important for the overall arc, but some of the middle ones, I wondered like, what would it be like to read these? Because it does hop around with like certain characters, like you see them throughout um, as little streams of this river. Um, and I, I thought like it might be fun. I immediately was like, I think I want to reread it and try reading it maybe like backwards and see what happens. <laughs> I think you could totally do this. And I have this, um, I like this idea of that once the book is out, um, the book grows like four legs, like an animal and it starts like roaming the world. And then it can like the, the book goes like to places you as a writer could not have imagine mm -hmm. and it like gets into people's houses and into people's hearts and so once it's there people can do with it like or can read it as they as they want and can be very playful with it and, and for example this is a book that while writing it I used to read aloud to myself all the time and um, because it's a book that it was um like the sound of it was very important to me because it's a book that mm -hmm. it also reflects a lot in like oral storytelling in folklore etc so the sound of it was important to me so when sometimes readers tell me that they have been reading it aloud to to each other, I like I love this kind of of like of feeling or of, of like um, things that happen to the book once it's out there. So yes, please read it um, in like any order that you that you might like. <laughs> I might have to now. <laughs> well, Natalie, I'm currently um, working on the subtitles for uh, the for a. Uh, a recording of a play based on Irene's book. So I'm actually, I'm, you know, I'm of course referring back to my translation uh -huh. to, you know, the voices that I, I've created, but um, I'm seeing how they move things around and it's quite interesting. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, there's also been a, a, a symphonic version was it yeah. just of the mushrooms? Just of the mushrooms, yeah. It was like the chapter of the mushrooms and every um, singer in the chorus, like in this symphonic um, play um, or concert, um, was like representing one of the one of the mushrooms. So it was a very choral thing. It was very um, beautiful and um, for me to to hear that. Yeah. Can I find that somewhere? <laughs> Probably yes, in in like online it was like it was on the internet. It was yeah in the Palau de la Musica. I can I can write it to you. It's like Palace of the Music yeah. battle, um, and that's where it was um, played. Yeah. Who who was the composer? Martimon was the composer. Oh my gosh, that's so fun! I love that, and that's that's another example of it growing legs, of this story. Yeah, just absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um I I love to uh end my conversations by asking uh 
two small questions. One was, what was the most fun you had while uh, while writing this and translating it for for both of you while writing it and um, the most fun you had and the thing that was like a fun discovery um, that you either learned uh, about like something during your research or um, just something that came up while you were walking around the mountains and putting these stories together? Um, I would say that that the whole book was like very fun to to write in general. I like, like the first chapters that come to mind are the like the clouds are also like poetry, the like the road deer or the or the dog are very, very fun, were very fun to write, sorry. And the like the little girl, um Palomita. Um, like who escapes from like Spanish um, civil war and Francoist Spain. Um, so yeah, and Mia's dream with Ilari. I don't know, I would say that it was fun to write and I always, um, I hope that all my books will be as fun to write as this one because that would be um, amazing. That would be it. <laughs> and um, I and um, I answered the, the second question and then I'll, I'll let Mara, Mara answer. Um, I had to do lots of research in order to write this novel because I didn't know as many things about roar deer or clouds formation or the civil war um, or even like water sprites and folklore um, as I needed to write it. So I, I was um, reading a lot and trying to meet lots of people um, who are experts in different fields, etc. Um, and for me it was like reading the like the the, car, the court proceedings of like witch trials um, was like not fun, but it was very intense because um, I couldn't stop thinking that um, all those documents were handwritten by the, the, the men who had like tortured and murdered these women. So, and that his, their ideas and their preconceptions of the world were there somehow. And that, that's why for me, it was very interesting to um, write that chapter from the perspective of these women whose, whose real voice or perspective was um, lost and we will never know. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I also discovered lots of things that were interesting to me, like for example, the times in history in which um, blood or, or um, frogs or fish have rained um, from the sky or um, like different things about roar deer and their daily life. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's fun, fun to read. Um, well, I, I really love the, the mushroom voice because it's, uh, it's very rare to, to create a collective voice. Um, and, and Luna, the dog is also lovely, but I also, I really love the, the final chapter um, which I guess, I, I think this book is almost spoiler proof, but um, I won't yeah. go into too much detail, <laughs> um, but just be, just because of how lyrical and I, I'm kind of a romantic, I guess, too. So, um, and I definitely learned some things about mushrooms. <laughs> and we, I do, I do want to let our readers know that we have, we have, or our listeners and future readers of this book that we have talked a lot about loss and grief and pain but this book is funny <laughs> <laughs> this book is funny and it is fun um and there is so much um 
like joy and pleasure in it. Um, and it, it really does like, it has everything. It is such an escape from, from wherever you are and not in a way that you're, you're trying to run away from things, but like you open it up and you find yourself in those mountains and that's where you stay while you're reading it. And it was such a pleasure to read. And I am so happy that it exists and that we can have it on our shelves at Skylight and then it can grow legs and walk out the door with everyone <laughs> who, uh, who will pick it up. So thank you both again so much for taking the time to talk to me about it. And I'm so excited that you're going to continue to work together and that we have so much more fun stuff to look forward to. Me too. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you very much. This has been um, great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.